This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Tonight to John's Gospel, chapter 1. I just want to read uh, a couple of verses here, reading from verse 43 of John's Gospel, chapter 1. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now we have been looking at the lives of Christ's apostles, the Master's men. And uh, we have looked at uh, uh, Philip and Andrew and James and John. We looked at this morning. And tonight, our focus this evening is going to be on Philip. Now, in the listings of the apostles in the first three Gospels and in the book of Acts, uh, we see that the listings are in three different groups of four. And they're always in three different groups of four. And... uh, Always Philip comes number five, which means he's heading the list, the first of the second list he heads. Number five, but first in the second list, and it's always that way. And so in that group that he's in, there is Nathaniel and Thomas and Matthew. Nathaniel's also called Bartholomew, but we generally know him better as uh, Nathaniel. Now, In order, before we get into actually talking about the Philip that we want to talk about tonight, Philip the Apostle, we need to mention there are other Philips as well. Uh, For example, there's Philip, who was the son of Herod the Great, a tetrarch of Iturea. Then there was uh, another Philip, another son of Herod through another woman, and his wife is called Herodias. And you may remember that, that... she ran off with Antipas, who was that Philip's half-brother. And John the Baptist confronted that adultery in a very in-your-face way. And Antipas didn't like that and had John beheaded. And then, of course, there is uh, Philip the deacon. Uh, And Philip the deacon was the one who, in Acts 8, uh, he went out to Samaria and had a great revival there, so he was an evangelist. He didn't start out that way, because in Acts 6, remember the church was exploding. There was 3,000 saved on the very first day when it was church came into being, and then there was more. It was daily been added to the church, and so the whole of Jerusalem was filled with the apostles' doctrine, and so there was mighty things happening. And it got to the stage, and just for practical purposes, that 
some of those who were Hellenists, that's Greek-speaking Jews, they were coming to the, the apostles, and they were saying to them, look, we're, our, our wives is not being, widows is not being properly fed in the kitchens. Uh, there's a bit of bias going on. And the apostle says, well, look, we need to give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. So you look out among yourselves, pray about it, seek out among yourselves seven good men to deal with all the practical stuff. And this Philip, uh, this deacon, he, he was one of those seven men. And Stephen, the first martyr, he was also one of those seven men. But at some point or other, this particular Philip, he left the kitchen, felt the call of God to go out and to minister and to preach and to pray. And he reached Samaria, had a tremendous revival there. And you remember it was him who God called out of that revival and sent him 100 miles to Gaza to preach to one person, the Ethiopian eunuch. So that's the Philip that we're talking about there, Philip the deacon or the Philip the evangelist. And Philip actually is a Greek name, and it means lover of horses. And uh, it, it, was, it was a popular name among Greeks at that time. Now, remember that the whole Greek culture in Israel and Palestine, the Middle East, was a big, big thing. Lots of people spoke Greek, they wrote in Greek, they talked in Greek, they, their culture was Greek, and that's, it was a very big thing. And, uh, and so whether his parents were Greeks, whether they were Hellenists, whether they were Greek-speaking Jews, we're not sure, but they certainly gave him that name, Philip, which is a Greek name. But I'm sure he also probably had a Hebrew name, although we don't know what it is. It's not mentioned in Scripture. And uh, Philip was honored uh, probably because of Philip the Tetrarch, who upgraded his city, Bethsaida, which is where Philip the Tetrarch came from, and he upgraded that city and made it a great city and called it uh, after him. And so perhaps maybe that's why Philip got that name. And, and also Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, it was him who greatly influenced all of that whole northern Galilean area. And so maybe for those reasons, maybe that's why he was called Philip, but we can't say for sure. All we know is, here in the scriptures, he is called Philip. And as we've said before, Philip was friends with Peter, with Andrew, with James, with John, with Nathaniel. And we don't know whether he actually was a fisherman or not. The chances were he probably was, but we, it doesn't say that. Uh, we know there for sure there's four fishermen among the, the, the apostles, probably seven, and probably Philip was one of those. He certainly was from a fishing village, Bethsaida. It was a fishing port. And so he grew up knowing all these fishermen. So the good chance was he at least was a fisherman. And... Uh, we see here that he was a great friend of Nathaniel as well. Now, from what we know and what we see in Philip, of Philip's life in the gospel, John's gospel, uh, he's not mentioned the other three, but when it comes to John's gospel, he does mention him. And from what we know about Philip, it would seem to be that he was a very cautious type of a man. We said this morning, the interesting thing about all the apostles is they're all completely different. There's not two of them alike. They're all different. Even the two brothers were different in their ways. And Philip here seems to be a cautious man. And you'll see that as we go along looking at this tonight. He was kind of slow of the mark. He was a calculator. Uh, he was a kind of man who was analytical in his thinking. He tried to work everything out. That was his nature. And some of you are like that. 
Some of you are like that. You're analytical in your thinking. You try to work everything out. You're cautious. You don't jump into things. You, you try to think things through. And that's, that's not a bad trait, by the way. It's a good trait. The only problem with it is, is when you have to use your faith, and God wants you to move in faith, and you're too busy trying to work out all the details, the chances are you won't step out in faith because God's not going to show you everything before you step out in faith, otherwise it wouldn't be faith. And so this was a, a problem that Philip had. He always had to have his ducks in a row. He was a, a bit of a ditherer at times. And so let me reiterate again. These were men that Jesus himself handpicked after a night in prayer, sought them out, called them apostles, called them to himself to give them that special privilege. These would be the ones that he would personally mentor over three and a half years. Now, as I said this morning, if we were going to choose, we would have chosen none of these. Uh, this would not have been our A team or our B team, probably not even our C team. But the Lord Jesus, who knows everything, knew exactly what he was doing and he knew who to pick. And I'm glad that he did pick these because these are just ordinary people like us. And yet God used them in extraordinary ways. Now at times it looked like Jesus got very frustrated with them. There was times he called them dull of hearing. Do you not understand? <laughs> One time he says, how long must I be with you? <laughs> you know, it's time that you'd almost feel him being frustrated because they just weren't picking up. I mean, no matter what he was telling us, at times it just wasn't getting in. They weren't getting it. And that was kind of frustrating, I suppose you could say. Yet, he was very patient. He was very forbearing. He was very compassionate with them, very merciful. They made lots of mistakes. They blundered. They got it wrong. But he persevered with them because he knew he had a plan for them and given some time and some encouragement and some mercy and some leeway, then eventually, if they stuck with him, he would bring them through to be the person he wanted them to be. Now, remember that, that Andrew, along with John, was uh, the first two of Christ's disciples. They were also disciples of John the Baptist, and it was John, point, John pointed Jesus out. He says, there is the Lamb of God. And immediately they left John and went to be with Jesus. Now, they didn't quit their jobs at that point. That came later on. Maybe weeks or maybe months later, they did that. But immediately they went to be with Jesus. He says, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And so they went. And that was a big, big thing. And we know then that... It was Andrew who went after Peter, his brother, and brought him to Christ. And probably it was John who went and got James, his older brother, to come to Christ. But Philip was the one that Jesus went and found him. Philip didn't come to him. Jesus went to Philip. Out of them all, it was Jesus found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, the reason why I say that is this, that most of us as believers here tonight, except when you were very, very, very young and you made a decision for Christ and you can't remember the day or the hour when that happened, but most of us can remember, I remember vividly the Saturday night that I gave my life to Christ. I remember the room it was in. I remember the seat that I sat on because that became my office sometime later. And I remember it very well. I can't remember what I said to the preacher. 
other than I asked him a whole lot of questions. And he said to me, listen, we could sit here all night answering your questions. Do you want to get saved? <laughs> and I says, yes. And that night I made my choice and made my decision. So, so it's very clear to me. But, but... That was because my wife and my family was praying for me and witnessing to me. And I was brought up in a Christian home by and large, and so I knew that. And so most of us came to Christ through the witness or the encouragement or the help of somebody else. Somebody gave us a tract, somebody brought us to church, somebody prayed for us, somebody witnessed to us, whatever. But none of this happened to Philip. Now, we, we can imagine Philip was a student of Scripture. We can imagine he, he was a man who read the scriptures. But suddenly Jesus sought him out. Nobody went to him. Jesus went to him. And so occasionally this happens. In fact, in the Middle East today, Muslims are coming to Christ, and many of them is because Jesus is appearing in a dream to them. Because Muslims believe in dreams really do. And Jesus is appearing in dreams to them. And suddenly they meet Christ in a dream. And, and then they begin to follow up on that and try to find somebody to tell them more about Jesus. Because they believe, Muslims believe Jesus is a prophet. They don't believe he's the last prophet because Muhammad was the last prophet according to them. But they believe that Jesus was a good man, a prophet. And so often he appears in dreams to them. So occasionally somebody Nobody speaks to them. Maybe it's because of the country they live in or maybe the circumstances they find themselves in. But the Lord, by his Spirit, comes to them and convicts them and speaks to them and draws them to himself. This seems to be what happened to Philip. And Philip's approach to Nathaniel to win him for Christ is interesting. And so he, he went immediately. Immediately he thought of his best friend, Nathaniel. And he thought, I, I have found the Messiah. It's interesting, he said to Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. Actually, the Messiah found him. But he went to Nathaniel. And he said, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. Uh, he is Jesus, the son of Joseph. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I'll get into that more when we come to about Nathaniel. <laughs> Nathaniel says, can any good come out of Nazareth? And at that moment, it seems to be that Philip was kind of stuck. Now, he, he could have talked a lot more to him, but it seemed to be he dithered because that kind of threw him because he was excited because he had found Jesus, the Messiah, and he wanted to share that with his friend, but his friend wasn't impressed at all. And that kind of threw him. Did you ever get that when you go to witness to somebody and they're not anyway impressed with what you say? In fact, they don't even believe it. Well, that's was, that was what happened to Nathaniel. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you serious? Nazareth, of all places? You know what Nazareth's like. Surely no prophet or good Messiah could come out of Nazareth. And so he dithers. And he thinks, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? How can I convince him? What can I say is going to change this? And then eventually he says, well, come and see. In other words, I, I don't have the answer you're looking for here. I can't answer your question, but come and see. And that's no bad thing, you know, in your witness. Sometimes somebody's going to ask you something that you don't have the answer. Just say, I don't have that answer, but let me talk to you about Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to him. And this is what Philip did. 
he brought him, or Jesus came to him, and when Jesus said to him, it absolutely changed his life whenever he met Nathaniel. So let's look a little bit further. Let's look at some of the things that John recorded about Philip that nobody else did. Uh, first of all, the feeding of the 5,000. Now we know that this is in the is in the four Gospels as far as that's concerned. It's the only miracle that's in the whole four Gospels. So it's a very important miracle indeed. So in John chapter 6, let's have a look here. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he had performed, and those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Imagine the scene. If you read the, the actually the four accounts of this, you'll see this scenario played out. Jesus sees the great multitude. Now we know it's 5,000 men besides women and children, so you're probably talking at least 10,000, a great multitude. And Jesus is looking at that, and he's looking at his disciples. Now, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, and so he's looking at his disciples, and I can imagine, give me a wee bit of license, I can imagine he's looking at them all, and he comes across Philip, and I can imagine Philip standing like this with his arms folded, rubbing his beard, looking at that same multitude, squinting his eyes his wee brain is ticking over and I can imagine he's thinking I hope the master doesn't ask us to feed this lot look at the many there are and because he's, because he's a calculator and because he's analytical and he's thinking because he's so practical he's, he's already trying to work out boy what would it cost to feed all of those 200 denarii He's worked it out. 200 denarii. A denarii is, is a labor's wage for one day. So that's 200 days. That's, that's seven months' wages. And that would only be for a little. If you really, really stretched that out, each of them wouldn't even get a sandwich. They just got a little. And he's figuring all this out. And I imagine Jesus looked at him. And I imagine Jesus saying, Philip... Where, where can we buy enough food for all these people? <laughs> he's testing him. He's testing him. That's what it says. He's testing him. He knew exactly what he was going to do. But he's testing Philip. Every one of those disciples got tested. And if you're going to follow the Lord, you will be tested. And your faith will be tested. And your perseverance will be tested. And your patience will be tested. And so he's testing him. And so he says, Philip, where can we buy bread for all these people? The dreaded question. And Philip then speaks out. He's thinking of it now. He says, Lord, 200 denarii, it wouldn't even be enough. 
to feed all that big multitude of people. <laughs> That's Philip. He's already dismissed it as impossible. Now that's amazing because that same Philip saw Jesus turn water into wine. That same Philip saw Jesus raise the dead. Some perform every kind of miracle imaginable. But when he looks at the vast crowd and he starts to get the waves in his brain turning, it doesn't compute. It doesn't add up. Turning into water into wine, you don't need to compute that. It either happens or it doesn't happen. But feeding, feeding 10,000 people, that's a lot of people. And so his mind's computing, and it doesn't add up. He, he just can't work that out. And Jesus says, if you read the other Gospels, he says, uh, how many loaves do we have? And it was Andrew, wasn't it? It was Andrew who brought the little boy over with five loaves and two fishes. And even Andrew, even though he did that, thinking, well, the master's going to do something. He asked that. If he asked that, he's going to do something. So this is all we got. So I don't know what he can do with it, but we're going to give it to him. But he said, but even they, are, that's so little among so many. Even he was struggling with this. But you know the end of the story. Jesus multiplied by those two fishes. And it fed all of that vast crowd. And there was 12 baskets left over. But here was the problem here. Philip dithered. Philip thought too much. Philip overanalyzed too much to the point where he couldn't believe this was possible. And sometimes to follow the Lord, you can overanalyze things too much. It's good to think things through. It's good to have wisdom. It's good to do all that. But sometimes when it comes to stepping out in faith, you can analyze it to death and you don't do it. There came a time in my life and my wife's life when we had to make a decision for Christ. And we did sit down and analyze it and it didn't add up. It didn't compute but there came a point where we had to say, no, this is what we're going to do because this is what we're called to do. And when we did that, even we didn't know how that's going to work out. No idea. But it has worked out. And we could have analyzed it to death. I wouldn't be here tonight if that had been the case. And so here he is. Short of two things. He's short of finances. Whether they had 200 denarii, I don't know. He wasn't, he wasn't the treasure. Judas was the treasure. But maybe he had a rough idea of what was in the kitty. But even if that amount was in the kitty, he says, that's not enough. He didn't have enough resources. But he didn't have enough faith either. Somehow he left Christ out of the calculations. Somehow he didn't factor in what the Lord could do, that he could do a miracle, even though he had seen many miracles. But at that point, and we're no different, the Lord can bless us again and again and again. He can deliver us. He can heal us. He can do all kinds of stuff in our lives. And then suddenly we have this big problem. And we leave him out of our calculations. Well, I don't know how God's going to do this. I can't see how this is going to work. This, I'm beat 
and we leave Christ out of our calculations and our faith fails, falls. But that's what Philip was like. Mary and Martha did the same. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. We know you're a miracle worker. We know you have raised the dead because remember Jared's little daughter has been raised for the dead. The widow of Nain's son had been raised for the dead. So they knew that. We know you can raise the dead, but, but, he's in the grave four days. He didn't even get to the funeral. It's too late. They calculated it all up and they calculated Christ out of the picture. And we do that. Sometimes we leave him out and think this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible Amen. if we count him in. And then the second incident in John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now, the timing of this event was shortly after Jesus had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We didn't read verse 19. Had we read that, the Jew says, Behold, the whole world has gone after him. So this was a big thing. Jerusalem was just filled with people talking about and thinking about Jesus. The whole nation was, never mind Jerusalem. And so that's the context when these Greeks came and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. John G. Butler said this, It is significant that Gentiles from the east came to Christ near his birth, and Gentiles from the west came to see him near his crucifixion. He further goes on and says, that is an indictment upon the that it is an indictment upon the Jews that the Greeks sought to see Jesus when the Jews sought to slay Jesus. Hmm. And so these Greeks, whoever they are, maybe they were proselytes, maybe these was Greeks who had accepted Judaism as their religion now, believing just one God. And a great feast was on, and they would come to the feast from all over. But because they were not circumcised, then they could not partake, but they would come to see and to enjoy the, the whole event that was happening because there was thousands and tens of thousands would come. And so they heard about Jesus. Everybody had heard about Jesus. Even people coming from other nations was hearing about Jesus. He was the talk of the whole country. And so being curious, they want to see Jesus. Who wouldn't want to see him? And so they were anxious, how are we going to do this? And so they made some inquiries, and somebody, probably somebody says, well, there's Philip. He's got a Greek name, just like you, so see him. And so they went to Philip. And they were very polite. They are very mannerly. Sir, we would see Jesus. In other words, sir, we would love to see Jesus. Could you arrange that for us? And that would be a lovely thing, obviously, wouldn't it? 
but Philip dithers. He doesn't know what to do. Now, he would be thinking, here's these Gentiles, these Greeks, and even though they may be proselytes now that have accepted Judaism, but they're not circumcised. And so Jesus told us that he's only come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In fact, when he sent the 70 out, he told them just to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So for me to take them, now if they had been Jews, that would have been different, but they're Greeks, they're Gentiles. For me to take them, boy, that, that could be a problem. Maybe Jesus would give me a telling off. You see, he's calculating, he's thinking, he's trying to work all this out in his head because that's what he was like. He doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He goes to Andrew because he knows Andrew's always the one bringing people to Jesus. So he goes to Andrew and he tells Andrew. And I can imagine and say, Andrew, what are we going to do? These people want to see Jesus but would he want to see them? And Andrew immediately would say, come on, let's go. They want to see Jesus. Let's take them to Jesus. He'll sort the theology out. We'll not worry about that. Just take them. They want to see Jesus. Let's take them to see Jesus. That was Andrew. He didn't want to go into all the minutiae of arguments and ideas and all of that. He just wanted, if they want to see Jesus, let's take them to Jesus. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Just take them to Jesus. And it's a good thing they did. Because when they took them to Jesus... Jesus preached a great message and let them know and let everybody know that he had come not just for the household of Israel, he had come for everybody. See, Philip had missed that part. Philip had forgotten that the Jews had rejected Jesus. He came onto his own and his own refused him. So what did he do? He turned to the Gentiles. But Philip had missed all that, you see. But John didn't, or Andrew didn't care. He just says, let's take them to Jesus. But here he is, uncertain what to do, dithering, trying to make up his mind. Isn't it, isn't it, wouldn't it have been a pity if those Greeks, while he was making up his mind, you know, I can imagine him saying to those guys, hey, listen, fellas, you just stand there. I, I'm going to see one of my mates over here. I, I'm just not sure whether I can do this or not, whether Jesus will accept you. So let me go and speak to one of my, my mates over here. Now, what if they had just walked away? What if they had said, do you know what? We feel insulted. And they just cleared off. They'd have missed an opportunity to hear a great sermon of Jesus, an opportunity for them to know that Christ had come to save the whole world. But thank God at least, at least he went to Andrew, and Andrew had no such qualms, and he took them to Jesus. And then the final and third incident is in John 14. And this is about regarding the Passover. John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? At least he was honest about it. And Jesus said to him, I am the way 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now he's talking about the Father. If you had known me, you'd have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. <laughs> so they're all listening to this. And Philip, calculating in his mind, analytical thinking, the wheels are turning. But he's thinking, well, we don't really understand this. Thomas has already said, Lord, we haven't a clue what you're talking about. If I could put that in the vernacular, that's what he was saying. So Philip thought, well, here's what he said. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. You're talking about going to the Father. You're talking about going away, because in the previous chapter, Peter says, where are you going? And Jesus says, well, well, where I'm going now, you can't come at this time, but later on you can come to where I'm going. Then he tells him he's going to the Father. And so they're confused. They're not getting this. Because like us, sometimes they're spiritually dense. <laughs> and so Philip says, well, let's clear the whole thing up. Just show us the Father, and that will be sufficient. That will sort everything out. Be no mystery about it. We'll understand perfectly well if you just show us the Father. Now that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? That sounds a reasonable request. Maybe even sounds a, a noble request. But actually, actually it wasn't. In fact, it was a bit insulting to tell you the truth. And Jesus had to pull them up and pull them all up. Firstly, no man, Jesus said, has seen the Father in John 1. No man has seen the Father except the Son. Why? Because we couldn't stand it. Do you remember Moses said to God, show me your glory. What did God do? He put him in the cleft of a rock and his hinder parts went past him. In other words, he just sort of saw, if I could use this, the tail of his coat, as it were. And it was so powerful that Moses' face began to shine when he came down that mountain. He had to put a veil on his face because it would have blinded people. And that was only the hinder parts. So it would be impossible for a man to stand in the very presence of an almighty God in our human being form today. We couldn't take it. Secondly, to think that even though we saw him, that that would answer all of our questions, just seeing him. But just seeing a, a physical form, although he's not a physical form for he's a spirit, but just seeing a physical form would not answer all the questions about his glory and his power and his wisdom and his holiness. And thirdly, and most importantly, and this is what Jesus is trying to get over to Philip and the rest of them. Thirdly, even though Philip saw the mighty miracles of Jesus, and even though he heard the most profound teaching 
than he'd ever heard. And even though he had walked so closely with them for three and a half years, yet he didn't quite grasp that he was truly the second person of the divine trinity. He didn't quite grasp that. None of them actually did. Peter got a little revelation at one point. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. It wasn't too long to that. Jesus rebuking him, get thee behind me, Satan. And so Philip, here he is, and Jesus is saying to him, listen, Philip, I have been with you. Listen to what he says here. Philip, have I been with you for so long, and yet you still don't know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father, verse 9. Not that he is the Father, but he that has seen me has seen the Father, because he is the perfect representation of the Father on earth. He says, everything I say the Father says, everything I do the Father does. I do nothing of myself. Everything I do glorifies him. And so you want to know what the Father's like? Jesus says, look at me. You want to know what the character of Father's like? Look at me. Just look at me and you'll know the Father. That's what he sent to Philip. That's what he sent to these men. In him, Colossians 2, 9 says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was and is the second person of the divine trinity. He is God in human flesh on earth. That's what he's saying to those. That's what he's saying to Philip. That's what he's saying to the disciples. I am God in human flesh. You want to know what the Father's like? Just look at me. And in a sense, it was a good thing that Philip asked that question, even though he was wrong to ask it, but it was a good thing for us that he did because it's one more opportunity for Jesus to show forth his deity, to show forth his, the fact that he is part of the Godhead, co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? This was Philip. Always questioning, always wondering, always trying to work out, always calculating, always doing all of that, computing. That's why his mind worked. And that's the way some of your minds work too. But Jesus was patient. And Jesus was persevering. He could have said, Philip, you're very cautious, you're calculating, you're slow to act, you're very practical. But what about all those times you saw me in action? What about those times when we saw the 5,000 supernaturally fed? What about the times when you saw me turning water into wine and raising the dead? What about all those times you saw that? Now, here's the reality. Until Pentecost came, all of those disciples, including Philip, who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, all of them blundered, got it wrong, missed the point, didn't see it until Pentecost. And then when the Holy Spirit came, who wouldn't just be with them, but who would be in them. When the Holy Spirit came, and the greatest ministry the Holy Spirit has is to show us Jesus Christ, is to exalt Jesus. And when they get filled with the Holy Spirit... Then they began to see and understand and to know who Christ really was and what his mission was 
suddenly it was beginning to dawn on them. That's why Peter went out and preached in that day of Pentecost a, a, a sermon that was riddled with Old Testament scriptures showing forth Christ as the Son of God. The Holy Spirit enlightened him. We would not know Jesus as the Son of God except the Holy Spirit opened our eyes and our hearts. There's lots of people out there, and if you said to them, who is Jesus Christ? They would say, well, he was a prophet, or he was a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Some may say, well, I think the Bible says he was the Son of God. But until the Holy Spirit opens up their heart and their eyes, they will never know him as that. They will never truly see him as the Son of God. But thank God the Holy Spirit did that in your life and in my life tonight. Not much is known of Philip after Pentecost. In fact, he's not even mentioned in Scripture again after Pentecost. But tradition tells us and history tells us that he went out preaching, as they all did, went out preaching the gospel everywhere they went, in Sycia and Phrygia, which that area which is now in southern Russia, and he preached out there, and they led many, many people to Christ and raised up churches and moved on evangelizing and uh, did a tremendous work for the Lord. And so tradition says he died at Heropolis and uh, died a martyr's death at Heropolis. And, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about Scripture is only lets you know what you need to know. I would love to know more about Philip, but the Scriptures doesn't reveal that. It just tells us what we know here. That's it. But tradition tells us he went out and became a great evangelist, won many to Christ, did a tremendous work for the Lord. And isn't it wonderful that every single one of them is different? Different in personality, different in understanding, different in their ways, different in temperament, but God saw fit to use every single one of them for his glory. I look across at you tonight and I see people who are so very, very different. Different in personality, different ways, different stages in your Christian walk, different levels, and yet Christ can use every single one of us just where we are. All of us is a lot more to learn. All of us is a lot more to be taught. All of us is a lot more to know out of this word, haven't we? I've been reading this word for decades, and there's tons in it that I still have to learn yet. I have to know yet and I have to read it. And I encourage you to do that yourself and get to know this book. And this is why I'm doing this week's series about these apostles, to let you know about them and to be inspired and say, well, God, if you could use them with all of their mistakes and their weaknesses and their blunders, if you can use them, then you can use us. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you take the weak things, you take the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. You take the things, Lord, that people count as nothing in this world, and yet you use them for your glory, that you may get the glory, not man. And so we give you thanks for, thanks for the lives of these apostles that you have chosen. Now, Lord, you have chosen each of us, not as apostles, but as believers, as disciples. So, Lord, use us, see fit to use us for your glory. Shape us and mold us, make us into the man and woman that you want us to be, that you may be glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
we produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk